Welcome to the Fundamental Health Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Paul Saladino. This podcast is the result of my relentless search to understand and correct the roots of chronic disease and illness. In this podcast, I will share with you everything I have learned about how to live the most healthy and radical life possible. Thanks for joining me on this journey. What is up, you guys? Welcome to another edition of the Fundamental Health Podcast. In case you didn't hear, I survived COVID. In fact, I did great. I know that a lot of people didn't have an easy course, and my heart goes out to all of them, but very grateful and thankful that my own course of coronavirus, illness, COVID was quite mild. I really believe that this is in no small portion, uh, in no small part, due to the fact that I include lots of organs in my diet, that I'm metabolically healthy. So I have lots of nutrients, I get out in the sun, I live like my ancestors, I believe in the remembering, and I had an easy course. If you need more organs in your diet, check us out at heartandsoil.co. This is my company, the thing I built out of passion and heart with the intention of helping all of you reclaim your ancestral birthright to radical health. There is just so much suffering in the world today from a medical perspective that I believe doesn't need to be there. That is why I do what I do, trying to spread the message to share the ideas around an animal-based diet that contains a lot of meat and organs, the most nutrient-dense foods on the planet, but for a lot of people, getting organs in their diet is tricky, so we make desiccated, freeze-dried organ capsules from the best organs we can find from grass-fed, grass-finished animals in the beautiful lands of New Zealand at Hardened Soil. I am taking desiccated organs with me to Africa, which I'm going to this week now that I've recovered from COVID and done my diligence uh, quarantining. I'll be taking beef organs and lifeblood and gut and digestion. Uh, check those out. Histamine and immune is coming back into stock this week. So check us out, heartandsoil.co, and reclaim your ancestral birthright to radical health. You do not need to suffer. If we eat like our ancestors, we will thrive. This is why I do what I do. want to um, move on to the podcast this week. Thanks to Josh Axe for coming on. Josh is a super nice guy. We definitely agree on many things, like the importance of eating nose to tail, the value of organs in the diet. This is something that Josh is interested in based on his research into traditional Chinese medicine, which is a thousands of year old system of thinking of medicine before we had pharmaceutical drugs and imaging modalities. And even within Chinese medicine from two, 3,000 years ago, these practitioners have been using organs and eating nose to tail and understanding that this is a key part of how we become healthy as humans. The other thing that we agree on is that vegetables can be toxic. There's a toxicity spectrum here. And within Chinese medicine, a lot of times they're gonna use very cooked vegetables to detoxify them. I would say just avoid those vegetables in general and eat the least toxic plant foods. Do what works for you. There's a lot of similarity there. Josh and I don't agree on other things, but we have a fun conversation in this podcast. I think Josh sees things uh, very much through the lens of creationism, and I personally believe that there's a lot of good evidence scientifically for evolution and an evolutionary blueprint for humans. So it's always fun to have people on the podcast who I disagree with a little bit, and we definitely have some fun conversation here. So thanks to Josh for coming on. 
I think you guys will like this uh, this one. I try not to let the podcast be an echo chamber. If you like the podcast, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. It's how we spread the message of the podcast to more people, how we help more people. And every month I give away a signed copy of my book to someone who left me a review there. So please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. I want to give a shout out to my sponsors, White Oak Pastures. These guys are amazing. They're in Bluffton, Georgia. They are making the finest grass-fed, grass-finished, regeneratively mazed meat, raised, not mazed, meat and organs that I've ever had. They're amazing people, and they are leading the way in this movement of regenerative agriculture. If you guys don't know about regenerative agriculture, man, go back, listen to the podcast with Anya Fernald, who's the CEO of Belcampo, who's another sponsor of this podcast. Listen to all the podcasts I've done with Rob Wolf and others on this show about how we draw carbon down into the soil. Elon Musk recently offered $100 million for a technology to sequester carbon. We already have it. It's called regenerative agriculture, and farms like White Oak do this, and they end up making amazing meat and high-quality organs in the process. Use my code CARNIVOREMD for 10% off your first order at White Oak Pastures, but support this type of agriculture because it is what we believe in, and it's how we protect future generations on this planet. It is everything. So Belcampo's, the other farm that sponsors this podcast, belcampo.com. Like I said, Anya Fernald, the CEO, the chief cowgirl at Belcampo, has been on this podcast before. They are also making regeneratively raised meat, organ suet in this beautiful farm at the base of Mount Shasta. You can use the code CARNIVOREMD for 20% off your order there, or carnivore 10 in addition to any 20% off order they are running for a 30% discount. I don't know, they're always changing it up. But I love their bavette steaks. I've got their sirloin in my fridge right now. This is good quality meat. Again, it's raised regeneratively. We just need to get White Oak and Belcampo to be seen by Elon Musk because the technology is there. We already know how to draw carbon down from the environment into the soil to create healthier networks of mycorrhizal, this is fungus and bacteria with the grass, and you get soil that looks like chocolate, and you get plants that are healthy and animals that are healthy, and this is the way it's always been, and farms like White Oak Pastures and Bocampo are doing it, so I'm happy that, uh, that I can support them and share the word about these great places on the planet in this podcast, so please support them, whiteoakpastures.com, bellcampo.com. And, you know, the other thing that I think we should all be thinking about doing is hunting because getting out into the wilderness is really a sacrament for me. And I was able to do it last year with my buddy Monsol, who has a an organization called Sacred Hunting. And he is offering hunts to my audience. And so I'm really excited and proud to share his message with you guys. So you can go to sacredhunting.com front slash Paul to learn about this. But if you go on a hunt with Monsel here in Texas, as a friend of mine, you'll learn the basics of how to track, stalk, kill, field dress wild animals. And in sacred hunting, he adds ritual and Native American components that make it a rite of passage, that make it more than just going out and blasting a deer with a rifle. This is understanding that all these animals are sacred, they're part of an ecosystem that we have to be respectful, which is how I've always wanted to hunt and it was so cool to do this with Monsel. I went last January, I shot an animal with my bow. We thank the land for the animal, we thank the animal for the nourishment that it's giving us. Every day we were there was a real remembrance of how lucky we were to be on this earth and to be nourished by these animals. 
Fundamental Health listeners will save 250 bucks off their trip by mentioning my name. There's five spots on each hunt. So visit sacredhunting.com front slash Paul. Fill out the two-minute application. Set up an exploratory call with my buddy Monsel. This is seriously, I believe, the best hunting experience you could ever have to begin. Um, or even if you're an experienced hunter, it's a great way to connect with people who are like-minded and who are very intentionable intentional about the way they hunt. So check it out, sacredhunting.com, front slash Paul. All right, guys, on to the podcast. If you like this show, like I said, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. If you want to subscribe to my newsletter, you can do that at heartandsoil.co. I send out little stories every day about my life and how it could be helpful. I send out funny stories. I send out embarrassing stories. I try to be very candid and authentic just to tell you guys how I'm living my life and deliver value. So check us out, heartandsoil.co for desiccated organs and to subscribe to our newsletter, which I'll write you guys every day. And I'll be centering a lot, sharing a lot on social media as I go to Africa. So listen after the podcast for what is going on with me. Dr. Josh Axe, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on, my friend. Hey, Dr. Paul, thanks for having me. It's good to connect with you today. You know, we are doing back-to-back podcasts, so the listeners won't know, but you and I have already just had an awesome 45-minute conversation about the benefits of meat and organs on your podcast. That's What's right. the name of your podcast? Uh, it's the, uh, you know, very creatively, the Dr. Axe Show. Okay. Well, so. people can listen to our conversation about meat and organs and sort of like heals like and... Uh, food as medicine on that podcast. We'll talk a little bit about it today. So I, you sent me a copy of your new book coming out and it's called Ancient Remedies, right? That's right. When is that one coming out? Uh, it comes out February 2nd. In 2021. 2021. So very if we, soon. If we make it there. <laughs> yep. If we make That's it. Right. That's right. right. Cool. Well, you know, I was browsing through it last night and one of the things that I really appreciated in the introduction of that book was your perspective on sort of medical history and where we've come from in terms of medicine. Why don't you just share with us a little bit of the way you see things with regard to human health and disease and um, sort of how you look at people when they come to you and they're not well, because I think that we think about this similarly. You know, I've often shared with my audience that I'm all about root cause, and it was awesome to see you use those same words in your book. So how do you yeah. think about this and how do you see the kind of the medical paradigm optimally for humans? Yeah, you know, my, my big focus is really, uh, Ben, as, as yours has been, Dr. Paul, is I want to get to the root cause and heal people. How do we do that? And also look at modeling people that have best done that throughout history. And when I look at the uh, civilization or let's say the, the practice that I feel the people that have done this the best, I studied all of these different forms of ancient medicine. And to me, traditional Chinese medicine was the most impactful. You look at it in the area that probably most closely practices traditional Chinese medicine today, and it's Okinawa, Japan, or the entire country of Japan. They have a longer lifespan than anywhere else in the world. And so I went and went on a, on a, and started doing a lot of research to find, you know, what's the most effective form of medicine. And what I found in that, uh, with those practitioners is, they said that not one diet fits all. Now there are certain principles and certain people can do well with certain foods, but there isn't one single diet for everyone. I also found that your emotional health probably causes more health problems than even what you eat, or it's at least 50-50. It is very, very closely related, your emotional health and what you're putting in your body 
on a regular basis. And I also found they never said somebody had a medical condition. They never said you have cancer. They never said you have heart disease, you have diabetes. They said, you've got this pattern and we can, we can fix this pattern if you do this. And so today what happens is people are saying, I have fibromyalgia. I have Hashimoto's thyroiditis. I have arthritis. And for a lot of people, it's literally becoming part of their identity and they feel like, hey, I can't ever overcome this. So the way that Chinese medicine looks at things and the root causes, okay, what's the actual cause of hypothyroidism? Well, they would say it's a qi and yang deficiency. And, and let me step back and say how this goes. There's something in Chinese medicine called the six evils. And there are six patterns that essentially cause most diseases. Um, and that is your body internally can be too hot or too cold. It can be too damp or too dry. And you can have too much movement called wind or too little movement called stagnation. And then in there, there's three other factors. There's yin and yang, which essentially is more feminine-based hormones versus masculine hormones. And qi, which is essentially your your body's battery. It's your adrenal energy. Those are the nine total things they look at. And then they're going to say, you should take this herb, eat this food, have this lifestyle practice in order to heal. It's like, why do we call it a cold today if you have a common cold? That comes from ancient Chinese medicine. It's because your body is cold internally. Well, how do you heal a cold? What are all the ancient remedies? It's uh, Let me give you an example of this too. I live in Nashville and I was taking care of this guy and this is my one of my first patients. This was like 13, 14 years ago. And he came in and he said, Doc, I got a cold. Any recommendations? I said, well, what are you doing right now? He's like, I'm drinking a lot of hot toddies. And I'm like, honestly, I didn't even know what a hot toddy was. But it makes sense because whiskey is the hottest of all liqueurs, which honestly, it's not the best thing for a cold. But my point is, it's better than drinking beer, which is cooling. So if you want to kick a cold, garlic is warming. Oil of oregano is warming. Cinnamon, ginger, warm broth of chicken soup. These are all things that are warming because we have a cold. It tends to be because your body is cold internally. Candida, they call that dampness in Chinese medicine. Or if you have excess mucus in your colon, there's dampness in your colon. That's the root cause of a lot of issues with Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. And so it's, it's, it's working on how do we heal or how do we rebalance the body using food as medicine. So how do you dry up dampness? You start eating things that are bitter. Bitter foods dry up dampness. How do you activate the liver to create more movement throughout your entire body? You eat foods that are sour in nature, that are fermented. Things that are sour activate the liver, cause bile to release, cause more food to move through your system. So all that being said, I look to the root cause. You know, I see this, Dr. Paul, as you see this, if somebody goes into their conventional doctor today with a condition like, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, they'll say, hey, I'm going to give you maybe uh, a, a medication to you know, suppress your immune system and then maybe something like a drug like Synthroid. And that's not the root cause. What's the root cause? Well, according to Chinese medicine, it's not a thyroid issue. Hashimoto's thyroiditis is actually caused from gut inflammation, actually mostly your colon, and then also an issue with your adrenal glands. And that's all now affecting the thyroid. And so we need to start consuming foods to really nourish the digestive system to beat the autoimmune part of the disease. And the issue with the low chi, which is related to the adrenals, we need to maybe do something that's more adaptogenic or get more sleep and reduce emotional stress. But that being said, my whole focus is on a personalized diet for individuals and helping people use 
food as medicine for their individual needs. Now, my listeners might be surprised at this, but I I completely agree with you that no one diet fits all people. And people might say, but you promote the carnivore diet, Paul. But you know, in my personal experience, I've seen people do well with different incarnations of animal-based diets. And anyone that listens mm-hmm. to my podcast will know that in recent times, I've been speaking a lot more about carnivore-ish type diets and animal-based diets, which allow for some plant foods on a toxicity spectrum. So, you know, what's what's been interesting for me is as I've personally expanded my own diet a little bit, not too far, I don't get too crazy, I've experimented with sweet potatoes and honey and squash and fruit, and I find that things that work well for me in the plant-based realm don't work well for other people and vice versa. Things other people will say, I really like sweet potatoes. And I'll say, you know what? Sweet potatoes don't work for me. So I agree. I think there is some individuality in what works for people. And I think that we think about this more similarly than we are different. And, you know, one of the things that was interesting that came out of our first conversation on your podcast was that it's, it's striking to me that within Chinese medicine, within TCM, there is this, this preference or this really appreciation, this reverence for animal foods, and that these foods are thought of as nourishing and the organs are thought of as nourishing. And this is essentially one of the places where the concept of like helps like or like cures like comes from. And anyone that's followed me and knows about heart and soil and what we do with desiccated organs has heard us talk about like helps like. And this is something that you've talked about as well too, that isn't it, is it true that in, in Chinese medicine, um, you know, you said this in the first podcast we did, if you go into an apothecary, they'll have herbs and they'll have organs, they'll have glandulars that this, that this thousands of year old system of medicine, which is pretty interesting, historically used glandulars, right? Would they, would they use liver for somebody with a liver problem or heart for somebody with a heart problem in TCM? Always. Always. If somebody comes in, let, let's talk about like a blood deficiency, right? You know, anemia, which is a major, in fact, the amount of uh, women today, especially, and some men that are struggling with low iron, low B12, who are missing blood building nutrients, it, it's an epidemic. I mean, it is huge, huge proportions. So, that being said, if you went into an ancient apothecary or saw an ancient practitioner, they would prescribe you probably liver and heart. And maybe spleen, they would say, consume this. And then they would also recommend probably dong quai, peony, and some astragalus. So, But those are the things they're going to prescribe and give people. And the, uh, one would be an herbal tincture. And to your point, I do want to mention this. I think when it comes to the plant consumption, I think that you know my, my take is it's all about proper preparation. In Chinese medicine, people are not eating astragalus they're not eating Don Kwai. They are putting it in water. They are simmering it and only consuming the serum, the serum soluble part of that, of that plant. And if somebody is going to eat a grain throughout history, the way they did that is they let it, they soaked it and let it dry out in the sun. And then they went through a process of fermentation to where they got it to the point through several day process to where it's, the, where you killed off the majority of those enzyme inhibitors and phytates and everything else to where it's now more easily absorbable. And the same goes for plants. This shocks people. Chinese medicine rarely recommends a raw plant. Rarely. Almost every time They're they toxic. call it, Yeah. They call it one pot. They said, okay, when you eat food, it's best to, uh, like a plant, it's best to put it in a pot. And this is actually principle of food combining, but they'll say, you know, chicken soup is great. They'll say, take broth, take chicken, take liver, take the different parts of the animal, the carcass, put it in a pot, add in some 
carrots, some parsley, some onions, let it cook overnight. Uh, and then you can consume it because they also believe that your body has to produce different enzymes to break down meat than it does fruit, than it does vegetables. But if you cook it in a pot overnight, their mentality was it becomes more one. And so your body is sort of getting all of the same thing at one time, not to anyways, that was part of their philosophy. But all that being said, they're very, very cognizant of the toxicity of plants, which is why they go through, through such a thorough process of processing or preparing a food for, for consumption. As most indigenous cultures and hunter-gatherers have done. This right. is so fascinating to think that throughout, throughout our history as humans, we, if, we are, if we are eating plants, we are eating them with some intention. We are thinking, let's not eat a whole bunch of raw plants. We know that raw beans, I talk about this in my book, are going to give you massive GI upset, could potentially be fatal, that we're going to really have to process the plants to detoxify them. And you know, I, I wonder how you would think about this next statement, because my perspective is that as humans, our ancestors have always favored animal meat and organs and used that as the primary food. And then we've used animal, we've used plants as kind of fallback foods when we're using it as food, and we go to great lengths to detoxify it. So my audience will know that including animal meat and organs is the centerpiece of the diet. If you're going to eat plants, understand that there's a toxicity spectrum. It sounds like this is similar in, in even Asian cultures as well, that they're detoxifying these plants. And I want to make sure at this point to draw the delineation as I have on recent podcasts, including Joe Rogan's, that just because in my messaging, I'm saying, be careful with plants as food doesn't mean that I discount the value of plants as medicine. And we can get into that. But I love that you mentioned this. And I'm curious, within Chinese culture and, and these cultures, have you seen the same preference for animal foods and, and eating nose to tail? It sounds, certainly sounds like they're detoxifying the plant foods. Well, so I'm going to give an answer that's more my, um, it's, it's a little bit more of a lengthy answer. But here's how Chinese medicine looks at the body. They tend to say, like in, in Western culture, we tend to say there's 12, you know, 12 organ systems or 12 organs systems. In Chinese medicine, they really believe they have more of a focus on five. There are five organ systems, all which affect one another. Um, and this leads into something called the five elements of Chinese medicine, which is the basis of most, uh, most of the, the practice. And, and they came up with what is the first personality profile or personalized eating plan. So today we have like the Enneagram, DISC profile, Myers-Briggs, all these things. Well, Chinese medicine did this very same thing, but they correlated it with the way you ate. And here's what they found. And by the way, to me, this is near absolute fact, all of the things they found, it's so proven. But you know, you have personality types. Um, well, every personality type has a uh, dom has dominant emotions that really drive them. And those in different emotions affect different organs. So let me give you five examples. So there are five organ systems are going to be your cardiovascular system, which is primarily your heart. It's going to be your immune system, which is primarily your colon and lungs. It's going to be your detoxification system, which is mostly your liver, gallbladder, and lymphatic system. It's going to be your uh, upper digestive system, which is your pancreas, your stomach, part of your digestive tract. And then it's also going to be your hormonal system, which is your adrenals, also part of your kidneys and your reproductive organs. So those are the five systems of the body. Now, if you have the emotion of, think about it, if a little kid has fear at night or has a nightmare, what can happen? They wet the bed. Why is that? 
the emotion of fear causes dysfunction of the kidneys and causes somebody to wet themselves. Or if you're in a fight or flight state, we know that's your adrenals. It affects you, right? If you have fear, your adrenal glands start acting. They start producing adrenaline and stress hormones. If somebody has a lot of worry, what can happen? They get an upset stomach, right? Why? Because worry affects your upper GI, um, that, that area of the body. If somebody has a lot of anger, why do we call someone an angry drunk? Because when the liver is under stress, both of anger, it causes somebody to have liver toxicity, or if somebody has too much alcohol or toxins, it causes liver disease. If somebody has a lot of grief or depression, it weakens their immune system, gives them a greater risk of coming down with viral infections, autoimmune disease, and other things. Like somebody has loss of a loved one or goes through a divorce or, man, they thought they were meant to be something or do something in life and never accomplished it. There's a sense of loss that taxes the entire immune system or there's an emotion of anxiety and nervousness. What does it do? Raises your blood pressure, increases your risk of heart disease. So that being said, Chinese medicine believes that the majority of diseases that you have, if somebody has hypothyroidism, it's probably due to either the emotion of too much fear in their life, like fear of failure, fear of disappointing loved ones, or there's, I, I don't want to get too complex here, but sometimes you have one system that then starts attacking and causing disease in another system of the body. So it could also be worry, obsessing, overanalyzing, overthinking that can affect it. So all that being said, my, my, my answer now is this, it's that if you're a person who constantly has your uh, your adrenals under stress. In Chinese medicine, they're going to recommend we do everything we can to support that organ system of the body. So they're going to recommend not all, they're going to recommend kidney and adrenals that you eat those organ meat glandulars. They're going to make sure that you're getting plenty of foods very high in B vitamins. So it's going to be a lot of meat products that support those. But in addition to that, they're going to recommend foods that are from the ocean because that supports the water element, the kidneys, that. So they're going to say, consume a lot of wild caught salmon and fish as your meat is going to be the best. They're going to see eat seaweed as your vegetable. And they're going to see from a standpoint of another food that sort of fits that bill, it's going to be miso soup, natto rice, those sorts of things. So, you know, and then if somebody has upper GI issues, they're going to say, we want you eating pumpkin and squash and pancreas. And so that probably doesn't, I know that doesn't answer your question, but is very, very personalized and, and individualized to every person. And it is, it is interesting for me historically that this is thousands of years ago that they were so astute and, and so obs observant about these different systems of the body. And it's such an interesting historical thing. There were no, there was no labs. There were no, no CT scans. There was none of this. I mean, this is this is way ahead of its time. And it, I definitely think there's a lot of wisdom in this. And you can contrast that with our current medical system, which as we both know, and as you, as you mentioned in this book, is really just looking at symptoms. It's really just using medications to ameliorate symptoms without actually treating the root cause. There's actually a great um, graphic from your book that I want to share with people. I'll do a screen share here. 
Um, so I really liked this one in the book. And I think it's a good reminder for people of the potential problems with the medications that we use or that are used, neither you nor I use these much, but why don't you walk us through this chart, yeah. Josh? And I mean, yeah. these are, I just want people to know that, that many people listening to this will be taking these medications or will have friends or family who are on these medications. These medications are not treating the root cause and they have all these bad side effects. So walk us through this one. So here's what's shocking, Dr. Paul, is that there is not a single medication out there that doesn't deplete and actually pull nutrients from your body. And it makes sense, right? Your body is having to deal with a foreign chemical and use nutrients to extract and remove these things from your body. And so, by the way, this is all taken from uh, medical websites like Mayo Clinic and, and, and you know, far, you know far, the pharmaceutical websites and their disclaimers of what happens when you take medication. So antibiotics, for instance, the number one thing they do is prescription antibiotic drugs like, you know, uh, amoxicycline, tetracycline, cipro, penicillin, they not only kill the bad bacteria in your body, they kill the good bacteria, which is a massive part of your immune system. So if you take an antibiotic drug, you're increasing your risk of cancer and autoimmune disease. Not only do antibiotics kill gut bacteria, they actually totally deplete your body of zinc. Here's the reason why antibiotics are so hard on the digestive lining that zinc is your body's repair substance. So you're now your body is using up all the zinc it has to try and repair the gut is one of the things that happens. It also is depleting in a similar fashion, folate, B vitamins, one, two, six, and 12, calcium, magnesium, and potassium, all of those are sucked out of your body if you're taking antibiotic drugs and put you at a deficiency. So what happens if you're deficient in zinc and gut bacteria? Well, now you are greatly increasing your risk of the two things I just mentioned, autoimmune disease, and cancer. And also it's going to affect your blood by pulling things like folate from your system. Also, you have an example of things like if somebody's taking an anti-anxiety drug, it actually starts depleting their body of melatonin. So then they can't sleep at night. So then they got to have be prescribed a sleep medication, which then actually causes more anxiety-like symptoms because people get so exhausted. So we, and just going to hit on a few more here, you know, antibiotic, uh, anti-diabetic drugs like metformin pull coenzyme Q10 from your body, which is going to cause a weakened heart. So it's going to increase your risk of high blood pressure and high cholesterol and pull folate and B12 from your body. So it's going to damage the liver. So I can go on and on and on here, but again, you can look at this list here and you're seeing there isn't a single medication that doesn't deplete the body of nutrients versus, you know, my, my whole, whole mentality here is, listen, if you have, and Dr. Paul, you've seen this, we've both helped people reverse diabetes. That's not even, that's not even that it, type two diabetes is not that hard. I had probably a hundred patients when I had my practice who came in and here's what we did. We said, stop eating all the carbs and I'm going to have you eat a diet that's mostly meat and vegetables. That's what we did. They started eating a diet of mostly meat and vegetables. And then I had them do a few, you know, using our, this TCM medicine, I'd have them do like some cinnamon, 
which is, you know, as a, as an herbal form of medicine and, you know, pretty quickly they were reversed. A1C levels are very normal. And that's with a lot of these conditions. If you go and start saying, what is the root cause of this disease? You can tend to heal it very quickly. And it's, it's just so interesting. And I hope people will refer back to that chart. Um, I'll show it again here for a moment and I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, but look at the num look at the medications here. And this is only a fraction of the medications that we work with. But I, I love what you said there. If your antibiotics are a great example, you, you damage the gut, you're going to need more zinc. You better have enough zinc if you want to have a healthy gut. Well, where do you get zinc from? You get it from muscle meat. You get it from liver. This yep. is critical. You have to have enough zinc if you want to heal leaky gut. And, and acids, I mean, you talk about this in the book, proton pump inhibitors, uh, you know, H2 blockers. These are depleting all these nutrients. Well, if we look at this side of the nutrients depleted by these medications, where do we get these nutrients? We get these nutrients from meat and organs. Meat. So, hundred percent. I think well, this is again, a of really all the things on here. Point. This is why liver is yeah. the most important. Again, there's a lot of good organ meats, but almost everyone on the planet should be getting liver. And if you're on a medication, taking liver is one of the greatest things you could ever take. I agree. And what's so crazy for me is when I was working in cardiology uh, as a physician assistant, people would come in and they'd be on Coumadin, uh, you know, which is going to inhibit the vitamin K dependent carboxylation of vitamin yeah. K dependent clotting factors. And they would say, I can't eat, you know, foods with vitamin K because it'll mess up my Coumadin. And I think, well, all the good foods have vitamin K in them, you know, and I would, I would, you know, much to the chagrin of the cardiologist, I would say, eat those foods, but let's increase your Coumadin dose. Now, the reason they're taking Coumadin is usually because they have atrial fibrillation because of other problems in the past, whether it's underlying sleep apnea or whatever, dilatation of the mitral annulus. But it, it, it's it's just crazy when you think about, it's just people end up in these really um, vicious cycles of nutrient depletion. And then there are more medications like you suggested that are prescribed to treat the nutrient depletion from the first one. So getting to the root cause is so critical. And that for me is why thinking about dietary triggers is, is so important. Yeah. And Dr. Paul, I just want to say this. I mean, you know, I, the, the, the world that I envision, I believe you do do as well is like, you know, if somebody goes in with these heart, these heart issues that they don't get put on, you know, uh, the bl blood thinners, like, you know, Coumadin and Warfarin and everything else. It's like, there are things in nature. You can take garlic extract, fish oil, turmeric, and probably Hawthorn and bam, your, your, your blood is in a good place. And then eating meat and vegetables. Like that's, if you do that, like there's a completely way proven throughout history where you can use food and not have nutrients now depleted from your body, your body toxic and, and all of these other things. And so there's absolutely a way, unfortunately, you know, pharmaceutical companies drive so much of what we do today. And listen, this is a life principle. Who are you listening to? Like, there's a principle from the Bible I love, and it says, by, the, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Like if somebody has fruit in their life where, you know what, that person, you can tell they're a good person, they're loving others, they're kind, they're, they're successful in an area, not by taking advantage of others, but by win-win situations and, you know, healing the planet. All, my, my whole point there is, is like, like these pharmaceutical companies today, they are actually sued for billions a year and they just don't. They don't care. So anyways, I could go on a tangent with that. I'm not. My whole point there is, is like, you know, recognize these ancient doctors. They were just, they were, they, they just love what they did. They were trying to heal. They were, you know, we called them healers. Like they were trying to help people heal. And so they spent all this time in study. I did want to mention this too. It is amazing, amazing what the ancients knew without technology. And they knew more than we do today. 
in terms of they, they were smarter in how they looked at the body. They looked at the big picture, not just things under a microscope. And, and you know, there is a recipe. Now, this is Ayurveda, but TCM has the same thing, and they call it um, herb combining. So we've all heard of food combining. Don't eat fruit with meat because ferment, you know, because it's hard on your gut, everything else. But when you eat certain herbs together, it actually changes the way that affects the body. So there's a study that came out recently. This came out 13 years ago, I believe. And they did a medical study when you consume piperine, which is an extract from black pepper, it increases the absorption of turmeric. And the medical community came out and was like applauding themselves like, guys, we had a medical breakthrough. We found if you consume this one compound in black pepper with turmeric, it increases the absorption. The recipe for turmeric golden milk has been around for 3,000 years, and the blend is turmeric plus warming spices. The warming spice blend is called Trichitu, and it's black pepper, ginger, long pepper, and then consuming that with ghee or coconut milk. And that recipe, why did they do that? Because they knew just with common sense, warming spices opens up your blood vessels, right? You sweat. If you have cayenne or garlic, you start sweating. It opens up your blood vessels and increases circulation. So now whatever nutrients you have is now going to be greater dispersed throughout the entire body, more bio, you know, more bioavailable, more absorbable, whatever you want to say. But my whole point there is, and they knew that your cells were made up of fat. And there's actually other things I've read where in, in some of these where they didn't do ghee or coconut oil, they actually had it with beef bone, like bone broth, which, which was really rich in fat. So you have that fat sitting there too. So my whole point is, is like, dude, people have known this stuff for thousands of years. And anyways, the med the medical community is literally like 3000 years behind. We're definitely, yeah. In terms and listen, of not, listen, let me say this. I do not an emergency medicine. We are incredible and not in all areas. My point though, in right. looking in healing chronic health conditions. Yeah. We're way behind. Yeah. I mean, interventionally, we're very advanced and we often rely on that. And Western medicine is very good at acute problems, but very bad at chronic problems. And yeah. so from I a agree. perspective of that, yes, I'd, I'd say we're hundreds of millions, we're millions of years behind in terms of anthropology and all this other stuff. Now you bring up this, this example of piperine from black pepper and turmeric, which is something that I've spoken about a little bit. So I want to clarify this. And I think we could have some interesting discussion here. And, and the first question that I'll use to frame this is what if somebody like you or me, maybe we wouldn't even go to a TCM practitioner because we're not having a problem, but what if somebody like you or me who basically feels good, right? Uh, I eat no satale animal foods, occasionally eat what I consider to be the least toxic plant foods. If I went to a TCM practitioner, would they give me anything? Because I, I, I can't imagine why they would. Um, I'm just curious about that. Um, again, it's all based on the individual. Uh, sometimes not, quite frequently not. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I, I have one of my best friends is a, uh, a you know Chinese medicine doctor and an acupuncturist. And when you see him, he actually rarely prescribes, he, he recommends foods more than he does herbs by far. And so it's just, you know, he might say, Hey, you've got a little bit of dampness. Um, Hey, I think you got a little bit too much worry going on. Maybe it's around the election or whatever. Hey, let's go ahead and, you know, Hey, you know, here's some, some ways practically to deal with worry. And Hey, from a food standpoint, stay away from oil, stay away from raw, make sure you're consuming foods that are going to combat dampness, like squashes and in, in grass-fed beef. Interesting. Because I think that within our culture today, 
So I, I like your perspective on the herbs, but I think that too often on the herbs, we are using them as 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 supplements now. <laughs> and and I don't think that yeah. they I don't think they work well as supplements. And this is just my perspective, and I'll I'll let you offer your your yeah. counterpoint if you would like. Um, when I'm thinking about turmeric, for instance, it's this sort of widely regarded plant food. But and the, the reason biochemically that piperine increases the absorption of curcumin from turmeric is because it inhibits the enzyme UDP glucuronosyl transferase in the liver, which is a phase two detoxification enzyme. So it's pretty clear to me biochemically that when, when we are eating turmeric with curcumin, our body doesn't really want the curcumin. Now, I won't debate the fact that the curcumin molecule has effects in the human body. And this is something I've talked about multiple times, but I'll just reiterate it here for people to understand it. I think that plant molecules, when we use them as medicine, are the same as pharmaceutical molecules in the sense that they are going to have some effects that we want and some effects that we don't want. And we need to be very careful of this because they're powerful molecules. And I think that historically, it's incredible that our, our ancestors, the people in China or Japan or wherever understood that, hey, there are physically, physiologically active molecules in plant foods. And just like we use synthetic or derived pharmaceuticals today, many of which are derived from plants, plants are essentially pharmaceuticals for a lot of people. And I wanna make very clear, I really want, to be clear or careful that we don't start making the same mistakes with plant molecules that we make with Western synthetic or derivative molecules, which is a molecule from a plant is, I don't think it's gonna treat the root cause. I think it can sometimes treat a symptom and it's probably a less toxic way to treat the symptom. If I had, for instance, you know, pain in my body that I could not get rid of and I couldn't bear. I was talking to a friend about this this morning. Would I use CBD or a, a cannabinoid instead of a, an opiate, a synthetic opiate or a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory like ibuprofen? Probably, I don't, I've never done that, but I probably would do that. But I think it's really important, and I talk about this in my book, The Carnivore Code, that we don't conflate turmeric as an anti-inflammatory as actually fixing the problem. Because if there's inflammation in the human body, the curcumin in turmeric can help with that. But the inflammation is also telling us something. And from my perspective, that inflammation is signaling that there's a problem with the food we're eating and there's something else going on. So I do think that plant molecules can be valuable as medicines. And historically, they've been used that way. But I just want to be careful on this apparently slippery slope that oftentimes I'm not convinced they're actually treating the root cause. And I see the root cause often as immunologic activation, nutrient deficiency, dietary things that we need to get to in the end. We saw that chart of the pharmaceuticals and all of the problems with the pharmaceuticals. Well, in the carnivore code, and I can bring up some articles now, with a lot of these plant molecules, there are also side effects. They're, you know, they're probably they a little more be. mild, but there are side effects to plant molecules. We know this, you know, we know that, that when you give someone certain plant molecules, for instance, curcumin, it can affect P53 gene expression. It can affect certain potassium channels. It can affect topoisomerases. These are powerful molecules. And I think historically, they probably are the best way to do medicine rather than a synthetic pharmaceutical. But I just worry that sometimes we lose sight of the fact that they're often not correcting the root cause of the inflammation or the autoimmunity. And I just, I'm curious what you think of that perspective. Yeah. So, so my perspective is very much in line with the perspective of, you know, these ancient Asian practitioners, and it's going to be this one 90% of what you said, I, I agree with. And I think when I say this, you'll, you'll understand where I'm coming from. So one, I agree with a lot of those points. And, and here, 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 here is something to think about herbs. Um, 
are stronger than vegetables. Spices are actually stronger than herbs. Okay, so 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 there are there's varying degrees of strength in terms of how things impact your body with with some of these different things. And so there's no doubt that if somebody's taking black pepper, um, it could be bad for them. There's no doubt if somebody's taking turmeric, it could be bad for them, but also can be good for people. I think this is where it comes so much down into personalization and on individual physiology because in Chinese medicine, so listen, different your body has to deal with different micronutrients differently, different macronutrients differently, different phytonutrients differently, right? Different compounds and plants and animals differently. And so if somebody has, let me give you an example. In Chinese medicine, if somebody's wired as a wood element, which is what I am, and they're consuming more of a ketogenic diet, that would be bad for them. Eating a lot of meat and a lot of fat. It's terrible for me. I do not tolerate it well. Most of the other elements will do very well with it. Um, and here's the reason why emotionally I'm driven through my liver and gallbladder. Like the, the emotion I experience the most is frustration and impatience. And there are forms of anger to a degree. I'm trying to get something, I'm trying to move forward and it's not happening fast enough and traffic jams drive me crazy. Those things are really hard for me. And that's your liver has taken all of that. Because my liver is under greater stress because of the way I am wired emotionally or the emotions I experience, my, it's harder for my liver and my gallbladder and liver are already under more stress. Vice versa, let's go over here. Let's talk about, because so, why is it that somebody does great on keto, somebody does terrible? Some, some people do great with high carb and some people don't. The keto diet, here's why it's so healing for certain people. If somebody has a lot of worry and anxiety and their pancreas is constantly under stress, and then you remove carbohydrates from them, your pain, if you completely remove carbohydrates from somebody who has an issue with their pancreas and has worry, all of a sudden now it's almost like a principle of fasting. It's not working. Like it, it can regenerate itself now. It's it, it can heal itself. It can do all these things. And so my whole point there is I just think my, my very philosophy is very much one man's food and is another man's poison. And so I, I, I am with you is that I think that when somebody's going and taking certain herbal supplements, like, Hey, I just saw this person talk about, you know, like, uh, how great ashwagandha is or, you know, or turmeric or ginger or, Hey, here's a good one. Cayenne. Hey, I heard that cayenne heals cancer. Cayenne should be used only in a certain dosage. And actually it's probably bad for about 50% of people, according to Chinese medicine, because a lot of conditions, there's too much heat in the body. And so it cayenne might help relieve certain issues in arthritis because of um, not getting enough movement and blood flow to the area, but then you're creating so much heat in the body. You're actually increasing inflammation in all of these other areas of your body, including your heart, especially. And so you actually are having a side effect. So I know that's a long answer. But so one, I totally agree with you in terms of herbs and spices have side effects, but food can too. Excess fat consumption for a wood element and all that pressure on the gallbladder 
that's going to cause more disease in liver and gallbladder. So that's why I'm just so much. And again, this is hard because it's, it's not cookie cutter at all. Right. And it's really hard to say, you should eat this. You should eat this. Stuff is just really personalized. And I think this is also why it's so important that we teach people how to be in tune with their own body and saying, really listen to your body. What does your body tell you when you eat this? Because I know the world told you that meat is bad, but as you found, Dr. Paul, it's like, nah, man, your body does amazing with mostly meat. So that's kind of my, my thought process. Yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate that. And I definitely think that if people are clued into the way their body is reacting, they'll be able to navigate pretty well. And there's I think our hope, both your hope and my hope is that we'll be able to offer people tools that help them along that journey because those signposts can be tricky. And basically the nutrition landscape is is bewildering today for most people. They're, they're seeing signs that say, don't eat meat, eat more meat, eat liver, don't eat liver. Liver's a filter. Liver's not a filter. Liver's <laughs> yeah. great. Liver's a, and they're just, they don't even know which way to go. And so I think that what you and I are doing, and I appreciate your work greatly, is that we're trying to put up fence posts or signposts really that, that have some truth to them that as people are doing their own navigating, they can say, okay, I get it. And I'll tell you what, I've definitely worked with people and seen people who say, you know what, I don't feel good with all that extra fat. And whether that's you know, a certain element from the TCM perspective or the fact that they're choline deficient and they're not actually making enough bile salts or what, whatever. It's, it's an interesting, Hey, if you're not doing well with fat, you can, you can change your diet radically and adjust it and figure out as long as you're getting the right nutrients and doing what works for you. But I think this overall framework is something that we could agree on that, that animals and, and organs are critically nutritious and that plants, 100%. plants are powerful. And for some people, they can be really bad and other people, they can serve a role um, in, in some way. And, and I've been very open about the fact that I have a very small amount of plants in my diet now, but, but I appreciate the ones I do have at least um, in, a, in a small amount. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I'm with you. And by the way, if anybody's interested, yeah. So in my book, Ancient Remedies, I get into this stuff and I'm very open about, hey, this is what's good for this person. We have over 70 conditions in there where we recommend what foods to eat, what not to eat, you know, 30-day eating plans, all the recipes. And so you guys can find the book. If you're interested on amazon.com, barnesandnoble.com, it's called Ancient Remedies. But Paul, I think like and the other thing too, I think it's just, yeah, I mean, we're aligned with this stuff. Again, one of the three biggest categories, if not you know, the biggest category of things we're missing in our diet today, it is organ meats. It, it's, you know, again, it's, it's, it's one of the biggest things that we are missing today. And I put it up there with bone broth. And I know you might even have that as part of the category there, you know, yeah, but I yeah. think but bone broth and organ meats. And then, uh, and then, you know, I am a big fan of vegetables and herbs and spices for the right person, the right condition, which a lot of times takes guidance. But I think if, if most people would, would follow a diet where it's like, meat, vegetables, and when I say meat, organ meats as 50% of it in bone broth or more, you know, I think, I think people are going to heal. And the other thing, you know, I, I mentioned and eat it cooked most of the time. Yeah. And I will, I mean, I, people have heard me talk about this, but I wanted to mention it earlier. So I'll get it in now. When I was a raw vegan, I had a lot of problems with wind, man. I farted like, so I just, you know, yep. eat, your, eat your foods cooked. And so people will know what my diet is like these days. There's a video at hardensoil.co about how I eat and it's a lot of organs. It's a lot of meat and it's, you know, there's occasionally honey, there's occasionally seasonal fruit. And I've started including some pressure cooked squash and that's about it but the majority of my diet is meat and organs. So I just want to get your take on this, Josh. What do you think yeah. of the carnivore diet? What do you think of a nose to tail carnivore diet? Yeah, I think, and again, I, 
bringing everything back to Chinese medicine, I think fire elements, which you probably are. Uh, and by the way, so fire, you can tell by the way somebody looks. My, I have a longer face. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm more lanky. You can see the, the veins in my arms. That's wood element. Um, if somebody is really big bone, like, like, like uh, so somebody is a little bit more round and tends to hold weight, gain weight easy, they tend to be more earth element. Uh-huh. Um, fire elements tend to be very passionate. They're very <laughs> passionate people. Um, their noses are a little bit more um, just uh, pointy, like they have more pointed and, and strong features. Like they'd say like a hawk, like that's how you're you're wired and you're very passionate. And um, and a lot of times people have sort of two elements that they, you know, can be a crossover of. Um, water elements are very, think about Jamaica, like, hey, go with the flow. Like people that live in the Caribbean, that's how they tend to be wired. Metal elements are very black and white. It's very much like, um, think about Germany or Japan. It's th- those people that you have in your life. Everything is black and white. They tend to have darker hair, more pale skin, wider bridge of their nose, that sort of thing. They tend to be a little bit stronger. Um, anyway, so all that being said, I think that a lot. I-, I think no matter what, everybody can benefit from organ meat. <laughs> everybody is really screwing up the way that we eat animal products. It's like, it's all muscle meat. And this is what I've taught people a long time, especially, obviously I have a nutrition company and we, we create a bone broth product, a bone broth and powder form and collagen and other things. And, and I've told them like, well, well, why is it that athletes today or somebody that's elderly, most of them will say, my muscles feel really good. My joints feel bad. It's like supports like. Most people have gone throughout their entire life with getting collagen in their diet and the other nutrients found in bone broth, like chicken broth, glucosamine, chondroitin, hyaluronic acid, some of those key minerals. And if you look at what makes up over 70% of your gut lining and what makes up over 90% of your skin, hair, nails, bones, discs, ligaments, tendons, connective tissue, fascia, you know, all of the stuff, it's pure collagen. One third of your entire body's total protein. And so one third of your body's protein is making up, you know, is, is collagen. What else fills your entire body? It's organs. So like, you know, I, I remember when this came out years ago, Dr. Paul, like you remember the omega-3, omega-6 thing? First yeah. off, 20 years ago, nobody had heard of an omega-3 fat. Nobody even knew what an omega-3 was hardly unless you were in a scientific community. Today, everybody's heard of omega-3 fats. Everybody's heard of omega-6. You know, you need to have a one-to-four or a one-to-one ratio, somewhere in that range. We need to have a range and a ratio of meat from animals, of organ meat from animals, and the connective tissue of animals. And it's probably close to a third, a third, a third, to be quite nose honest. To tail, right? It, that's, that's how you do it, it if you're eating nose to tail. And so that's, you know, when we're talking about stuff, that is one of the biggest, I'll put it in the top three, one of the three biggest things, period, that people are missing today in their diet. The other thing I think is, um, you know, this is Chinese medicine, eating seasonally. How do you know what vegetables to eat? It's one of two things. Your unique makeup, the health, uh, the health condition you are struggling with, or what's in season. I mean, that's the other thing. And then preparing it properly. Like you, you need, if you're going to consume grain, rice should be sprouted and then cooked for a very long time overnight. It's like, you know, but, but anyway, so what do I think? I think the carnivore of grains. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. You gotta be exactly. So, so I think the principles you're teaching, you know, for the most part in terms of how we should be living and eating the meat 
the the concept I completely agree with. Again, I might think some people might need to have a few more, you know, plants and other things. Um, but it dep- but again, it all depends on the person. But I, again, I, I love what you teach. And I think it's really interesting with the cycling of carbohydrates. That's something I'll talk about more. And I'm finding that sure. for myself that, I mean, I'm in Texas, but as we're getting into fall and winter, I'm like, maybe I'll try a little bit of pressure cooked squash. And believe me, when I eat, when I eat quote vegetables, and this is actually a fruit, right? Squash is a non-sweet fruit. It's not a vegetable. It's not a root or a stem or a leaf or a seed. It's a fruit. It's, you know, it's, it's, I am cooking the heck out of it. And I experimented with white rice. I didn't love the way it made me feel, make me feel. And I pressure cooked the heck out of it for some people. Maybe it's okay. Again, I don't think people need to include any plant foods in their diet, but if you are going to, especially with the carbohydrates, it kind of makes sense in the summer, you might eat fruit (laughs) or honey. And in the winter you might eat squash or some of these other less toxic carbohydrates. And I I think I've kind of been drawn to that cycling of carbohydrates and also cycling in and out of the carbohydrates in my diet. I know you said you're a wood composition. Do you ever do any low carb days? What does your diet look like? I know it's individual for Josh Axe, but what does your diet look like on a day-to-day basis? And then I'll let you go. Yeah, you know, I, I do. And let me jump back and say this too. The reason why seasonal eating works the way it does is, and again, I know some people believe in evolution. I believe in God and he created and gave us clues on, hey, here's how you should be eating. You know, I think a walnut looks like a hemisphere of your brain for a reason. I think, you know, a, you eat the liver of an animal to know it supports your liver. So I, I think that your upper GI system is the strongest in the fall. Your pancreas is the strongest according to Chinese medicine, which means you will best tolerate carbohydrates in the fall. There's also a daily, a 24 hour clock in Chinese medicine. Your pancreas and stomach are the strongest between 7 a.m. and 9 a.m. in the morning. So if you are going to have carbohydrates, your body will process them and digest them the best then. If you try and have carbohydrates you know, a lot of them in the spring, in su- in the spring, you're going to wear yourself out. Or if you have them at 9 p.m. at night, the exact opposite is when carbohydrates are by far the hardest on your body because it's when your pancreas is down and supposed to be regenerating, not working very hard at that time. So, th- so that's the whole mindset there. How do I eat? You know, I eat a diet that is very high in meat, vegetables, and fruits. Or and then- and, and then rice that's cooked for a long time and oats that are cooked for, they're both sprouted and cooked for a long time. Mm-hmm. And that's how I feel the best. You know, I, um, you know, and, and, and we eat some seasonally. So right now, like, you know, in the fall, I will eat a lot of pumpkin. I'll eat spaghetti squash and I'll have a lot of grass fed beef and things like turkey. Like that's, that's what I'm going to eat a lot of right now. You know, in the spring, um, I'll do more things that are more green and a lot more greens because in Chinese medicine, that's when you eat a lot of green food and I feel really good doing that then. So anyways, it's, um, uh, but my diet is very high and the other, the fat I tolerate the best is coconut by far. I, I found that for myself. So I do a lot of that in terms of my, my source of fat and then herbs and spices. There is a few I do, but I rotate them seasonally this fall. I'll do a little bit of astragalus um, uh, to help balance my body and maybe a little bit of ginger as we move into winter. Um, but you know, that's, uh, my, my diet looks like a collagen smooth, like a bone broth smoothie for breakfast, chicken, vegetable soup for lunch and meat and triple vegetables for dinner. 
Yeah, interesting. And I, I like what you said about the pancreas and the circadian rhythm there. And that's something I've talked about on previous continuous glucose monitor podcasts. It's very well known in human physiology that if you eat the same amount of carbohydrates in the morning and the same amount of carbohydrates at night, your blood glucose response is going to be much more robust in the evening. And you know, you are, we yeah. are, humans are a little more insulin quote resistant in the evening. And some people think that's good. And I, some people think it's bad, but I can wear a CGM and eat 75 grams of carbs in the morning and 75 grams in the evening. And it's the exact same food. And my blood sugar is significantly higher in the evening. And so, yeah, I think there's something to that. I've talked about that on previous podcasts that there probably does appear to be a circadian rhythm to melatonin and insulin. And maybe it, it, it makes sense to me that in the evening, and that's one of the reasons I eat earlier in the day, in the evening, your body is kind of saying, Hey, it's time to chill out. Maybe give the pancreas a rest maybe don't do so many carbs in the evening. And you can tell that with a continuous glucose monitor or something like that. So that's, that's quite interesting. And I, seasonally, I hadn't thought about that, but I do think seasonal eating is, is valuable or at least something to think about. It all kind of goes back to these evolutionary or at least ancestral principles. I know we think about that a little differently, but these ancestral principles and what we're kind of designed to do as humans trying to understand what is really a species appropriate diet for humans. Yeah. So thanks very much for coming on, man, having some conversation. It's good to get your perspective. It's always good to hear from somebody that thinks a little differently and, and hear this. And I think it's valuable. I think this, this, this really historical system is, has a lot of wisdom and it's so cool when they, especially when they overlap, you know, when we can see these things come together and you think they, they saw this 3000 years ago, or however long ago in this TCM medicine. And we kind of see indications of that now. And I think what we, what we certainly agree on is the value of meat and organs in the human diet. Yep. There is a toxicity spectrum for plants. Plants are powerful. Don't use them wrong. Yep. And, and there's a lot of wisdom, I think, in not just treating the symptoms, but rather the root cause of the illness. So thanks for coming on. Um, where can people find more of your work? Ancient Remedies yeah. comes out in February, 2021. Yeah. So I'd say, yeah, you can go to drax.com. And if you've got a condition you're struggling with, you can go on Google or whatever search engine you use and search Dr. Axe hypothyroidism, Dr. Axe low testosterone. I've written a lot of articles, uh, Instagram and Facebook handles, Dr. Josh Axe. And again, yeah, new book out. Um, you can just go to amazon.com and search Dr. Josh Axe. Ancient Remedies is the book. And you know we cover all this stuff in the book. I have the graph of that circadian rhythm chart. We go through you know, all the foods. I talk about organ meats in the book and all of this stuff. So again, encourage people to check that out. And I also want to say, Dr. Paul, again, I love your work. I think, yeah, nine out of 10 things. We had a lot of overlap on my cast, podcast when I interviewed you and on this one today. And again, I couldn't agree more. I love that you're out there teaching people both how to heal their bodies, but also how to heal the planet. Because we both know, as you talked about on my podcast, like, eating like you're talking about eating or we're teaching people the grass-fed products, the organ meats, the bone broth, that actually helps heal the implantment and creates is supportive of regenerative agriculture and helping heal the planet. So again, I, I appreciate uh, you having me on, love what you do. And uh, thanks again. You're very welcome. Thanks for coming on. And I hope that you and I cross paths in person soon and that we can share a steak, my friend. Absolutely. Thanks, Dr. Paul. Thanks, guys. All right, guys. Thank you for listening to that one with Josh Axe. I appreciate him a lot. It's really cool to see that we have similar views on many things. And it's... Uh, it's also good to have some discussion where we disagree because who wants an echo chamber? That's boring. Thank you to my sponsors, Heart and Soil. This is my company, heartandsoil.co. Get your desiccated organs. Get your fresh organs. If you want fresh organs, check out whiteoakpastures.com, belcampo.com. If you want desiccated organs, check us out, heartandsoil.co. We got histamine immune coming back in the store this week. We have a full store. We got new products coming 
very, very soon. All right, you guys, I want to give a shout out to my buddy, uh, Sacred Hunting, sacredhunting.com, front slash Paul with Monsoon. Check it out if you want to get into hunting and check out whiteoakpastures.com and bellcampo.com. Love you all. I am going to Africa. Stay tuned for my adventures with the Hadza. Stay wrapped.